All right, so uh, one thing that was actually helpfully pointed out to me last week is the, hey, hey, mom, uh, the, uh, the subtitle of the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, is People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. That is the Christian life. We are all a work in progress, and yet, for whatever reason, God uses us in each other's lives to bring about growth in Christ. And so for this lesson here, right, the heart is the target, and in particular, we're going to look at how worship is the target. Who and what we worship is going to be active and alive and impacting every single day of our lives. Who and what we worship today, today, in this moment, what most dominates our thoughts, what most uh, dominates our affections, is going to impact how we respond to daily life. Uh, And again, for those that were in the previous class, uh, How People Change, uh, we did a lesson that considered the heart. So we're going to look at it again from a few different angles here in this particular uh, week's lesson because we're laying the foundation for this course, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, for in particular weeks kind of 4 through 12. We'll walk through this model that is going to be laid out, this model of love, know, speak, do. And those will make more sense as we fill those out as we get into it, but love, no, speak, do, the hope is that by the end of our time together, that would be a grid that you would consider entering into each other's lives. How do we love people well? How do we know them well? And then what is the truth that will most connect with and be most relevant to their life in that moment? Speak and then do. How do we help them now grow in maybe some uh, decisions and choices and habits that can help them reinforce that truth? All right, so big question for this lesson. What is our biggest problem? Not what is our only problem. What is our biggest problem? What problem is primary when we think about life? When we think about people, problems, and solutions, we're always going to fill those things in. How does Scripture fill in who people are, who we are? What's gone wrong, the problems, and the solution? What is it that now needs to change to help address that problem? Well, the Bible, when it talks about um, why it is, at the end of the day, why people do what they do, it's impossible to not see throughout Scripture what continues to be emphasized and put as a priority when it comes to change, and that is the heart. The Bible uses the word heart more than a thousand times. Now, in our kind of English language, oftentimes we'll talk about the heart to just talk about our emotions and our feelings. That's not all that the Bible has in mind with the word heart. The heart in the Bible is the control center of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And so it's essentially the center of who we are. The heart is what is in mind here with, uh, with the way Scripture uses it. And so it's very important that we understand this. It's very important that we try to help examine our own hearts rightly, not in a way that's going to be what we have called before kind of morbid self-introspection, which is basically saying where we look inward on ourselves and get stuck on ourselves and beat ourselves up for how fall how far we fall short. That's not what we have in mind with examining the heart. And also, we don't want to just kind of skip by it and go, well, it seems to be fine, so there's, did something just go down? What are the mics? I'm thankful it wasn't me. I was like, did I just trip and fall? There we go. Mic check, reset. Um, and then we also don't want to uh, not examine in a way where we actually miss some of the deeper motivations for why we do what we do. And we'll talk about the connection between our hearts and our behaviors as we get into it. And so to do that this morning, we're going to look at three passages that are going to give us slightly different angles on the heart and its connection to what we can see with our eyes, right? It's very hard to see what's happening at the level of my heart and my motives, right? You guys can see what I'm doing. You can hear what I'm saying. But it's hard to know what are my intentions? 
What are my motivations? Why am I doing or not doing what I'm doing or not doing? We need help to examine that. And so we're going to look at three passages. Uh, Luke 6, so we're going to look at our heart and our behaviors, the connection there. Ezekiel 14 is going to be our heart and our idols. And then we're going to look at Matthew 6 as we consider our heart and our treasures. All right, so first, can someone read for us the passage in Luke 6 as we consider the connection between our heart and our behaviors? Luke 6, verses 43 to 46. Someone go ahead and read that out loud for us whenever you get to it. So again, this passage here is talking about the connection between our words and our hearts. So if, I'm, if my goal, if I'm a tree, and my goal is to produce apples, and all you're seeing is pears, we need to go much deeper than me just chopping off the pears and stapling apples onto that tree, right? Or if I'm an apple tree that's supposed to be producing rich, delicious apples that can be a blessing to those that pick them and eat them, and all you're seeing is rotted apples... Same thing. I can't just cut off those apples and just hope and assume that there's going to be good fruit that's going to be produced there. We need to go deeper down into the roots and figure out what's, what's happening here. There's a connection here. When I'm saying or doing something, if, I'm, if I respond in irritation and frustration towards somebody, a driver on the road or a child that's not listening, I can't say, well, that driver made me angry. That child made me angry. We're choosing the words carefully there. They don't, people don't make us blank. They tempt us to. They might influence, influence us to. And that's worth examining the influences that are in our lives, the stressors that are in our lives. That's part of that love no. We're going to talk about that more. We want to slow down enough to understand the context for why I'm doing what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, my heart is responding in that way. And, and I always just ask myself this question, if Jesus were in that same exact situation, would sin ever come out of his mouth? No matter what the circumstance and situation he's in, no matter what his body was doing or not doing, would, would Jesus, the overflow of his heart, ever be sin? No. No. And so if the same spirit that is in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, there's only one Holy Spirit, is in me, then the Lord has some great fruit that he can produce in me in the midst of any circumstance, in the midst of any relationship, in the midst of any blessing or hardship. But in order to do that, we need to slow down enough to see the connection between the root and the fruit. Um, again, we can be tempted to want to, I think the illustration, I think it's in this book that the illustration is used of, uh, I mentioned the fruit stapling, where we can look at the tree and go, oh man, this is just such hard work. I don't know that it'll ever produce good fruit. But if people can just see, and if I could even just make people think that I'm doing well by stapling nice brand new apples on the tree, and we look at it from the external and go, yeah, he's doing well, she's doing well, then all is fine. But over time, those are going to begin to rot because there's no, it's not connected to an actual vine. Those are not, it's not being produced from a good, rich root system. Um, there's an illustration you have with this one, right? That'd be helpful to yeah. make the point. Just real quick before I forget, there's a really great children's song for younger children. Rain for roots, apples don't grow on pear trees. Super cute, super catchy. You can 
look it up on YouTube later if you have little kids in your life that you want to share that with. Can't staple cherries to a maple? Is that how it goes? That sounds that's right. Staple, so that sounds right. Anyways, super catchy. It is catchy. Right now. Um, yeah, I think with this lesson, if you were here for the How People Change course, a lot of it may sound really familiar, and that's really good because we want to continually come back to these truths. This, le this lesson is really foundational, and one of the questions that we're considering is when we minister to others, does it matter where our own hearts are at? Mm. And the question is a resounding it does matter when we minister to others, not just the external performance or even the external show of fruit, but internally, where is my heart at before the Lord when I minister to other people? So an illustration of this recently, there is a lady, Julie Lowe, who did a parenting conference, and I thought this was just such a great illustration she had. It she will definitely said, stick with you. It will yeah. stick with you. It stuck with me. <laughs> she um, actually started fostering two girls right before she got married, so entered marriage already with kids. Um, but she came home one day from work. Her two little girls at that time were just four and three, so pretty young. She's exhausted. No, she needs, needs to make dinner. It's been a long day. But she sits on the floor for just a minute. I'm sure everybody can be like, after a long day of school, you feel that way too, right? You come home, oh, I'm so tired. So she sits on the floor, and right away her three- and four-year-old come over, and they start playing with her hair. You know when somebody plays with your hair, you just get so relaxed. So she was really enjoying it. She's like, this is so nice. I'm not going to worry about dinner for now. So she sits there on the floor, and the girls start, like, getting all their bows. So they're putting bows everywhere. She's got like 50 bows in her hair. And then the girls had watched her in the morning get ready and she would always, she's got kind of curly hair, so she would get her brush wet in the sink and she would, uh, to, to get down some frizz, she would put the wet brush in her hair. So the girls were like, oh, let's go get mommy's brush and get it wet. So she's just like kind of half asleep, letting the girls play with her hair. And then after a minute, she's got four-year-olds getting the wet brush, the three-year-olds getting the wet brush, and then she thinks, wait a minute, I'm not hearing the sink running, but the brush is wet. And my three-year-old is bringing the wet brush, but like she can't reach the sink. So how is this brush getting wet? Mm. So she wakes herself mm. up and comes over and sees, sure enough, her three-year-old is going to the toilet and dipping the brush in the toilet and then coming back. And with toilet water, she's brushing her mom's hair. So you can imagine that she took a shower that night <laughs> after the girls played her hair. But her question then, and which I think is our question today, is does the source matter? Mm -hmm. Does it matter where you draw water from? <laughs> does it matter if it's clean sink water or if it's dirty, stinky toilet water? Yes. Does it matter mm -hmm. when I share truth with someone if I've been feeding on the living water of God's word for myself, hmm. or if I'm recycling things that mm -hmm. I've just memorized. Mm -hmm. Yes, it matters. Mm -hmm. It makes a difference. Does it matter if I'm very hospitable because I know it's the right thing to do, or if I'm hospitable because Christ has welcomed me into his home? 
and I have been fed with that living water that I now get to share with others. Yes, it matters. So our own hearts are essential. They matter to the Lord. And we can, in certain, certain situations, right, we can go for a while where it looks like our external student thrills, right? Like for Julie, oh, the brush is just wet. It must be from the sink. But over time, the Lord is so gracious to reveal to us when we've actually been going to the toilet and not to the living water. So that's primarily what our lesson is going to be focused on today. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really a powerful illustration because, again, it's not just, hey, sin is bad, don't do it. But why do I sin in this particular way in this particular moment? Why is that person irritating to me but not that person? Those things are worth slowing down and examining. Uh, and even in kind of the ministry of the Word here at Delray Baptist Church, so uh, Melissa, she's the women's counseling coordinator. She does some biblical counseling. She helps connect some other sisters to do that. This is going to be one of the things that we're always going to explore together. We pray increasingly so as a church. Okay, why? What's the motivation? What's happening at the level of my heart to understand what's going on? And as we do that, we're going to see some things that arise like we see in Ezekiel 14 verses 1 to 5. So let's consider briefly here our heart and our idols in Ezekiel chapter 14 verses 1 to 5. Can someone read that out loud for us, the first five verses of Ezekiel 14? All right, so the leaders of Israel here are coming to the prophet Isaiah to ask God questions. They have some questions for God, but what does God say? What does he do? He says, actually, Isaiah, before I can answer any of their questions, there's something that needs to be dealt with. What is it that God is saying needs to be dealt with in the lives of these people coming, these men coming to inquire of the Lord? Idols of the heart. Idols of the heart. Thank you, David. It's not just idols, right? It's idols, it says, in their hearts. In their hearts, not just little stone uh, figures and statues, which for us in 21st century America might not be as big of a struggle. But idols in our hearts, things that we make greater than God, created things. Romans 125 talks about the great exchange where we take, it's just the bent of our hearts, our sinful flesh, is to take any created thing, even ourselves, and to put it in the place of God of utmost importance. I can truly be happy and have peace and confidence and hope in life if I have this one thing, if this one thing is secure, this one relationship, this one success, this level of comfort, this level of financial security, this, my physical appearance, fill in the blank. We are going to fill in the blank. Our hearts are just, they've been called idol factories throughout church history. We're going to always be coming up with idols. And here's what's interesting about idols too. They will change from season to season. They are sneaky. They are, sin is deceptive. It is blinding us to say even good things, right? 
For, for someone who, a good thing, desiring marriage, desiring children, desiring to do well on a test, desiring to do well in sports, those are not bad things. But they can become elevated to become of utmost importance where it dominates our lives, it dominates our schedules, it dominates even our energies. And so we want to be able to slow down and have brothers and sisters in Christ with us saying, hey, in this season, what seems to be trying to compete the most with my affections for the Lord? Uh, even on this uh, past uh, a couple weekends ago, uh, the elders went on a retreat, and this was kind of the main question we were asking each other. Hey, in this season of life, what idol is, is trying to creep in? And I was humbled to think, man, I, my idol just even in the past year, that it's morphed a little bit. And I need those brothers and those questions to be asking me to help examine ways in which an idol is, <clears throat> an illustration you can think of, it's like having, like if you put your hand in front of your face and you're trying to see clearly past it, I, it's going to be hard for me to show you something if I don't deal with the fact that, hey, there's, there's something blocking your view. There's something making it difficult for you to see clearly. There's something in front of your face. In other words, with idols, idols can block the vision of our hearts to see God clearly, to see ourselves clearly. And so we want to deal with that. We want to help people to begin to see, hey, there is something happening here that's affecting all of our lives, right? Because again, that is going to impact then our behaviors as we slow down to consider the emotions of my life in this present day the decisions I'm making in this present day. It is not going to be hard to see the idols that are impacting that. Now, again, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, real quick, yeah. just with that, because it's such a vivid illustration. It is, right? yeah. Like, I can't see very well because this idol is blocking my vision. So who can see the hand better than we can see our own hand? It's other people. Right. And so not that every critique that anyone gives me is always going to be completely accurate, but if a number of people in my life are saying, hey, Melissa, you have a hand in front of your face. Hey, Melissa, I think you should consider, Lord, help us all be humble to receive that, because we really need other people to help us see those idols more accurately, because they are blocking my vision, because they're so close. They're right up there in my grill. So I need somebody else saying, hey, I think this might be what's going on in your life. So, again, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, people in need of change, helping other people That's right. in need of change. Yeah, and with the thing with idols is, honestly, you often don't have to look very hard to discover them. Usually when you slow down just a little bit, you can see some things that are beginning to dominate your life and your thinking. And so um, we don't want to be constantly going on what are called idol hunts. Like, no, 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 you can't see it, but no, no, let's keep diving. Let's keep digging. There's a huge idol. It's got to be something. It's got to be. Maybe in that particular moment, in that situation, it's not as clear, and that's okay. But oftentimes, it's not hard to just ask a few questions about, again, what, when you even have daydreams, what most consumes your thoughts. If you could change one thing in your life right now, what would it be? Those things will often try to compete with what's happening with the Lord. Now, again, we're talking about the heart here and its connection to behavior. We're saying that the heart in Scripture is of utmost importance. It's the most important. It's not the only thing that's important. Right? If we had more time, we could spend a lot of time on the importance of the body. Right? We are body and soul. God created us body and soul. There are just natural impulses that our bodies have and habits that we have that are important to consider habits of our bodies because that's going to certainly influence our lives. Right? It's not like every time, it's not like, for example, being anxious is always an intentional choice where I look at a situation, I think about it, and I choose and say, okay, I'm going to be anxious now. But rather, sometimes our bodies just respond without even thinking about it. And there's some anxiousness that ramps up in our body. Okay, that's good to examine what's happening there. 
But what we always want to do and never miss is what's happening is my heart responds to that. When my, when my thoughts start to race, when my body feels tense, when I start to feel a little bit socially awkward, okay, that's, we want to understand what's happening with our bodies, but also my heart is constantly interacting with that. And so let's not miss that. Again, the heart's not the only important thing as we begin to love and try to serve people. We want to understand what's happening relationally for them, with their bodies. We are saying, though, that we always, as we try to understand people, the hope is that as we get then to the thing that's of utmost importance, their hearts, that we, are, we have a guarantee that our hearts can change in Christ, we're able to get there in a way that it'll be better received by them. If we ignore what's happening around people or in their lives or with their bodies, they're going to feel like, I mean, you just, you're trying to give me this truth, but you don't understand what's happening. And so this really good truth, right, this wonderful, helpful seed, it might not grow if that soil is not tilled in a way where we can help each other make that truth become more powerful in their lives. So again, just real quick, want to mention that. So as we get back to considering that which is of utmost importance, we want to consider how my behaviors, that's the check engine light. I'm seeing both evidences of grace and also things that are concerning to me. Now I want to consider what's happening you know, in the root system of my heart. And also, okay, Lord, what are, what are some idols maybe in this season of life that I need to bring before you and confess to others to help me battle this well? All right, so the third passage here, now we're going to connect our hearts to our treasures, that which we most value and treasure. So someone read for us this passage in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. So here, Jesus is connecting the word treasure to describe what rules our hearts. There are things in this life that we treasure, that we find valuable. And where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. That which has captured our attention and our affections, right? It's another way of considering what's happening at the level of our hearts. And there's so much that we can say here. If we had more time, we could talk about how it talks about how the eyes are the lamp of the body. What is it that fills our minds, both, both our physical eyes, what are we constantly finding ourselves drawn to and looking at and taking in and even listening to? And then also for my, again, my, my thoughts, my inner thought life. What am I constantly treasuring and considering? How much does Christ and the treasure that is Jesus enter into the equation for my daily life? How much am I inviting others to help me to say, hey, I know the drift of my heart that's going to want to treasure a created things way more than Jesus and so would you help me to, to not drift? Help remind me of the true treasure where there's life that comes from that treasure. Because where our, wherever our treasure is, that's going to control our hearts and master us. Right? There's only two kinds of treasures. There's only two kinds of treasures. Heavenly and earthly treasure. Two kinds. What is of utmost importance in our lives? How precious to us is Jesus, the person of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus? How much does that impact our daily life and our thoughts and our relationships and how I relate to someone, the way that he gave himself? 
for me when I was dead, helpless, his enemy, a sinner. And yet he came and took on human flesh, lived a life that I could not live because I loved sin more than God. He did that on my behalf, died a sin that I uh, died the death that I should have died for my sins. Rose from the dead three days later because the grave couldn't hold him, death couldn't hold him, sin was not powerful enough for him. And now he not only forgives my sins, but now gives me that same power to fight sin, to, to not be afraid of death. That's a treasure that will keep on giving and growing no matter what's happening in your life, no matter the circumstances. That relationship might not ever get better or ever appear. Right? That past action you regret having, may, the earthly consequences may never change for that. Your, uh, the way that you feel in social settings may never grow significantly or change significantly. And yet, if Scripture is true, what we're being told is that our treasure, as we treasure Christ, we can actually grow in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control, in every situation. That's true freedom. That's true freedom. That's the treasure we want. And so let's consider, Lord, I'm, when I'm opening up my Bible, it's not just, oh, I feel guilty and I know I need to do this. But it's, I, I want to see the treasure, the true treasure that's going to transform my life more clearly, the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we see God most clearly is in the face and the person of Christ. So God, help me to see that as I examine my own heart, as I examine these things. If we want to examine our hearts without the gospel, it's not going to be pretty. You will either beat yourself up or ignore really important things that are deep and maybe shameful for you to admit. But if you examine your heart with the gospel, to, to know that we are far more sinful than we could ever imagine. <laughs> Otherwise, God would not have had to send his son Jesus to go to the level he went to to save us from our sins if our sins weren't that bad. So we are far more sinful than we, and we're also far more loved than we know. Yeah, Ephesians 4 actually prays for strength for us to understand the depth, the height, the breadth of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Now we can examine our heart more thoughtfully and more uh, rightly. Anything you want to mention on that before I just kind of read what I thought was a helpful section? So I thought this was uh, helpful just as we kind of even examine how good things can become treasures in a, in, a, in a wrong way in our lives. So this is from uh, the book Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. So I'll just kind of read it out loud. You guys just think about this and even consider some of these things for your own life as we uh, will then get into our small group time. So, uh, Paul Tripp says that rarely do we say, I'm going to set my heart on this thing and let it completely control my life. And yet it happens so often. The person you met and mildly enjoyed becomes the person whose approval you cannot live without. The work that you undertook to support your family or to support your daily life becomes the source of identity and achievement that you cannot give up. The house that you bought for the shelter and comfort of you or your family or your roommates becomes a temple for the worship of possessions. A rightful attention to your own needs morphs into a self-absorbed existence. Ministry has become more of an opportunity to seek power and approval than a life in the service of God. The things we set our hearts on never remain under our control. Instead, they capture, control, and enslave us. This is the danger of earthbound treasures. So you can see all those things that were mentioned. They're good things, things to be enjoyed when they're there. They're blessings. Praise God when any of those things are present. And also, and also, 
Satan is not that creative. Sin is not that creative. He knows, sin knows, all it has to do is begin to take those things that are blessings in our lives and make them ultimate, where I'm going to be confident and at peace if I have that, and if I don't, I'm going to be frantic, and how could I possibly serve God and love people without it? I can't until that's corrected. That's when we're being controlled by someone other than Jesus himself. And if we had more time, I think I have that cross-reference in your notes. Hebrews 4 speaks about one of the ways that we can help try to get below the surface. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 talks about how God's word can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, so we need God's word. That's part of what we kind of pray over each other and speak into each other's lives to help us discern what's happening there. And we want to consider, again, the behaviors and the external things that are happening. All right. Any last things? Or? I'm just, I don't know if we have time to talk about this, but I just think this is so helpful, the like question of maybe you're thinking, like, if heart change is the goal, how do I know what other people's hearts are? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I can see their behavior, mm-hmm. but I can't see into their hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a great question. That's, yeah, some of that's that connection to Hebrews 4, where God's Word can help us with that. And again, also, that's gonna, the whole course is going to unpack that. The whole love, no, speak, do model is going to try to help unpack for us how it is that we better discern what's happening in each other's lives and our hearts and where, what are some helpful directions to take that. All right, uh, so let's yeah, break up into groups of two to four-ish. And uh, you've got some small group questions there on your notes. And we'll take about 10 minutes or so to uh, begin to examine some of these things together. We'll come back together for a big group Q&A. So see you in about 10-ish minutes. Let's uh, gather back together. Hopefully there were some good conversations, good reflections. May the Lord bless these ongoing conversations, hopefully, throughout the weeks and and days. Again, the the hope and prayer is that... at some part of our just everyday relationships, this becomes a part of the regular rhythm of our conversation, just general touch points and reflections. Again, I will mention to not only see what's happening in our heart that is sin entangling us, but to also encourage us where we see evidences of grace. Hey, the way you responded to this situation or that person in a good way, that was different than how you responded last time or a year ago. God is changing you. God is growing you. We need help to see the good as well as or to, yeah, we need help to see grace in our lives as well as sin entangling our lives. All right, any reflections from the small group time or questions about today's lesson? Yes? Um, and maybe this will be something that you can answer kind of throughout the whole thing. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Back, yeah. to, back to the beginning of like, it matters where you're drawing water from. Mm. Um, where do you balance that with, like, should you stop? If your heart is in the wrong place, do you just stop mm. and back off from ministry? Mm. Or, like, do you, like, seek the Lord more? Like, where do you, how do you navigate something? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> yeah, do you have thoughts on that? If not, I can jump in. I have, like, probably, like, 20 different thoughts. All right. I'm, like, running around. <laughs> I'll jump in one. Like, yeah. which one? Uh, which one of them? I mean, I think it probably depends on the situation, right? Certainly, like, there are very serious instances where someone might be in a public ministry role and need to step down because of the contrast mm-hmm. of their public and their personal life, mm-hmm. right? Just not being pleasing to the Lord. So maybe that's just a good guiding question, like what's pleasing to the Lord here? 
because our motives are always going to be a little mixed. Like, I'm never going to, this side of heaven, have a perfect, like, wow, I was hospitable, and I had no fear of man, and no anxiety, and, like, nothing at all sinful, no pride, nothing. Like, there's always going to be a little bit mixed in there, and so certainly there will be situations to press through and, like, pray, Lord, as I'm serving, change my heart. Like, make it less about people and more about you using me to love others instead of want to please them or, or whatever. And then other situations where it's like, wow, like this, this is dishonoring to the Lord for me to continue to serve and not deal with what's in my own heart. So there could mm-hmm. definitely be situations, I think, in both sides. So it probably just depends. <laughs> How do you like that for an answer? Yeah. <laughs> just depends. No, I think it, it's helpful and it really it does depend. Because, again, and even on the person, like we don't want to get so like paralyzed and stuck. Man, is my motive pure and wanting to serve and not wanting to serve and wanting to say this, I don't know. Now I feel paralyzed. Because again, that's not the grace of the gospel. The grace of the gospel is even our imperfect deeds, even our imperfect service to the Lord, He receives them. He receives them as done unto Him. And that's a grace and a blessing. Now, and also in many ways, anytime we have an opportunity to do good, it's I'm trying to think of some examples where it wouldn't be helpful, but in general, I think, yeah, do good. Even, uh, you know, Paul's words in Philippians 1 about enemies of Christ who were actually preaching the gospel. Paul's saying, hey, what then? That in every way Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. Praise God. But to your point, I think it is helpful to say, ooh, this, something feels off about why I'm wanting to serve right now. So I want to serve. If I've committed to something, I'll do that. And then also, Lord, help me to understand and help brother or sister in Christ, help me understand what's going on here. Something's off. Because that for me is when I find myself, quote unquote, burning out in ministry, it's because my fuel and my motivation is oftentimes not as Christ-centered as it should be. It's either fear of man and wanting people to think highly of me or how sacrificial I am. And it's not, oh, Lord, you want me, I think, in this moment, in this season to serve in this way. So that's where I wouldn't want to get paralyzed, and I wouldn't also want to assume just because people around me are saying, well done, Danny, that I don't have to examine what's happening in my heart. So there's that spectrum where, like you said, it depends on the person. It's a great question, though. Really good question. And maybe one of those rabbits that we could really go off on, but it just is important to mention, like I know in the news, like we, we know those stories of people in ministry who... Mm-hmm would justify horrific behaviors mm-hmm. yeah. men abusing women and saying, but I'm a pastor and you're helping me get through this hard season and so you have to be okay with it. Like, just wrong. Yeah. You know, the horrible perverted taking God's word and twisting it and making it for selfish gain. And so that would be an example of like, the end does not justify the means. Yeah. So just because even a ministry leader might say, no, I, my, my platform is so important. Look at how many thousands of people I'm teaching worldwide and how much they value me. And so then whatever I need to do to like mm-hmm. get through, doesn't matter. It's fine because this is so important. Like mm-hmm. that's the sort of thing that the Lord hates, yeah. you know, just that dishonest, hypocritical, I don't care who I run over because look how important my ministry is. So I think that's kind of what we were... The opposite side of the spectrum. Right, yeah. Versus like, maybe I never have a platform and maybe I minister to three people throughout my life, but if I do that with integrity to Mm -hmm. honor the Lord, he is so pleased. Mm -hmm. Like it's not about 
the largeness of my apparent fruit or platform, but just faithfulness to him. Yeah. I think it's great because that paints that very vivid picture of, again, the two sides of the extreme. The one is paralyzed, unless I know that it's perfectly motivated, I won't do anything. And the other is, well, people seem to be helped so clearly. What I'm doing is right and motivated by good things. And even for people, as we examine others, we might be afraid to ask questions and speak into their life because, well, they seem to be blessing so many. I think, well, I know that, you know, the Bible's teaching on the heart would actually help us to press in differently in both directions. That's a good, vivid picture of that. Great question. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Yes, sir. It really is a paradigm shift for me to realize that preferences... Hmm. Though natural, though not inherently evil, yeah. can so easily turn into idols. Yeah. If we give to them the attributes that should only be owned by God. It's really good. It's a great reflection. Now, preferences, even if they're not bad preferences, can become idols. And even preferences, values that we've just kind of grown up with, right? Level of cleanliness in a home. Mess tolerance is what I call it. We're on different sides of the spectrum. How high can the dishes stack before it's wrong and sinful? <laughs> Where's the marker? Right? Those are not bad things. But to your point, the preferences now, they can just become so elevated. And in, uh, I think in maybe two or three weeks, we'll look at, it's a really helpful conversation around how desires, good desires, good preferences, things that we value, can become needs, which are like, no, no, I need this in order to feel uh, a level of comfort in Christ and peace with Christ. And then it can become a demand. No, I have to have this or I will punish you. So d- desires, needs, demands. We'll talk about that in future weeks, but it's a great reflection. It is a, a paradigm shift for sure. Oh, we'll do, uh, yeah, Josiah and then Dave. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about how in this area, I think, and especially for me, there's such a temptation to idolize career. Sure. And I'm just kind of reflecting myself on that tension between, like, working hard for something but not idolizing it. Yes. It seems like there are ways in which the Lord might give you success Yes. The path to get there is is a lot of like tenacity and like really hard yeah. work. You really have to want something. Yeah. How can you do that without making that an idol? How can you submit mm. that to the Lord where it's like, I'm yeah. gonna work really hard, I'm gonna put a lot of hours and a lot of yes. time and a lot of thought into this, but not in the wrong way. Yeah. It's a great question. And and again, that's even you know part of where, hey again, yeah, Lord help me to do that well and right, and then people around me help me to do this. I think the word healthy and unhealthy words, healthy and unhealthy are oftentimes more helpful than balance. Balance is just like, it just feels like such an impossible (laughs) achievement, like perfectly balanced, because every season of life is different. But can I do those things in a healthy way? Meaning, um, Lord, I feel like this is the vocation you've gifted me to do. You give me opportunities to do it. People around me are like, yeah, there's no, I think, inherently sinful reason why you shouldn't go after that vocation. All right, so, Lord, how can I consider the things of utmost importance? My relationship with, with the Lord. How's that doing? My relationships with other people. My involvement in the body of Christ. My service to coworkers and neighbors. I say that because I think those are just kind of general health check markers, right? If, I'm, if someone's putting in, you know, 60, 70 hours in a certain season of life, but there's certain responsibilities that they don't have where they might be able to have more flexibility and... Their walk with the Lord and others is not suffering in a way that people are pointing out to them or they're feeling convicted by the Spirit. Praise God. But there's going to be others who are just driving so hard and people are like, hey, I, I just noticed that um, you're, just, you're putting in a lot of hours with work. It seems like your, your health is suffering a little bit. You're not sleeping great. You seem more stressed than normal. Uh, how's time with the Lord been? Oh, 
I mean, it sounds like you've only been able to like spend time with him once or twice over the past month. It sounds like relationships are a little distant for you. Hey, let's talk about this. Two things. One is, do we even have relationships where people can say that to us? Who would know? Who are my people to help me to know? Because again, the heart is deceitful. And so who are the people? And then also, am I open to consider those things or am I, would I, do I begin to draw back from that person or those conversations? Because they say, oh yeah, it's just a season, it's just a season. Well, who's gonna let me know when that season becomes a lifestyle? And 20, 30, 40 years later, we look back and it's, oh man, there's a lot that we have to work through now. Anything you'd mention with that? It's a great question, Saya. So, yeah. It's a great question. I think maybe this is a little different because this wouldn't necessarily be career, but there are certain things right in our lives that maybe become idols, but you can't like necessarily get rid of them out of your life. Like children might be an example. <laughs> like I'm not going to give up my children, right, just because I'm idolizing them. And the Lord is just so amazing at how he refines us. Um, maybe school or grades, that could be another idol. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you need to drop out of school. <laughs> just right. because you might right. idolize getting good grades or whatnot. But the Lord is just faithful, I think, in a lot of different ways to refine us of idols. And it doesn't always look like tossing them in the trash. Like mm-hmm. It can look like Danny was saying with mm-hmm. like other people speaking into my life. And then... Sometimes the Lord just mysteriously, I don't know, I just feel like, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the minister. He's mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. at his ability to just search out where it is mm-hmm. in our hearts and where he lets, like, something that you've really treasured fail you. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was leaning on that until it fell. And now I'm realizing, oh, I was putting hope in that. And so that would be another time, just whenever you feel that in your heart of like, man, this is really letting me down. Oh, maybe the Lord is letting it let me down on purpose because I was leaning on it too much. So sometimes yeah. that's how it yeah. feels in life. Amen. Those are a great question. I just realized we are out of time. So uh, thank you for those questions and uh, praise the Lord. Again, may those questions and conversations continue uh, throughout our daily lives. And Lord willing, we'll be back for uh, week three of this lesson next week. Um, So let me uh, pray for us and we will get to, uh, you know, worshiping together corporately this morning on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Father, we do thank you again that you know us. Your word searches us. Your spirit searches us. And you do not intend harm and ill for your children. For those who are in Jesus, you only intend good. You're trying to begin, or I'm sorry, complete the work that you have began in us, which is forming the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our hearts, that we can know the joy that he has experienced with you, the Father, increasingly so every day of our lives, in every season of our lives, even seasons that rightly, rightly produce grief and sadness in us. And yet we don't grieve as those without hope. We we lament, we turn to you, we consider the person that you have revealed yourself to be to us as we walk this daily life. And Lord, we are amazed that you use us, jars of clay. We carry around the true treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to live in light of that. Help us to serve in light of that. And help us to encourage one another in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.